This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 225 for Monday, March 21st, 2011. Ice in space. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I, I am mostly over bronchitis, finally. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, we took a big break, another big break, but uh, but now your voice is functioning. Still a little sore, but but you can get through an episode. It, and and Preston, our wonderful editor, will cut out all the coughing, and right. none of you will have to suffer through right. it. Just me. Yeah, well. <laughs> all right. So, okay, well, a huge part of the solar system is just made of ice. There are comets, rings, moons, and even dwarf planets. So where did all this ice come from, and what impact, pardon the pun, has it had <laughs> for life on Earth? All right, Pamela, ice. And you know what? This has been your life for the last couple of months, right? It has. Back in, I guess, January, I flew out to NASA Ames and got to sit down and talk with the folks behind the New Horizons mission, which is going to fly through the Pluto system in 2015. And this, in some ways, is one of the scariest spacecraft flight plans I've ever read, because the flight plan basically states, okay, we're going to go past Jupiter, take lots of shiny pictures. They've done that. We're going to keep going. We're going to fly past Pluto and its moon of argued over pronunciation, Chiron, whatever you want to call it. And and then we're going to keep going, and there's going to be enough fuel left on board to go to one, maybe two more Kuiper Belt objects, except those objects haven't been discovered yet. So sometime between mission launch and, well, 2016 to 2020, we need to discover those objects. That's scary. So right now, the New Horizons team has been taking amazing images of the region of the solar system where something with the right orbit to carry it in front of New Horizons should be located. And we just finished creating a website, we being me and Corey Lehan, one of my programmers, a website called Ice Hunters that takes all of these images and puts them online for anyone out there. This is anyone in our listening audience, your friends, your family, your kids, your grandmothers, and asks you to look through the images and help the New Horizons team discover that Kuiper Belt object that New Horizons will go to sometime after it visits Pluto. Right, so anybody can go and help discover where New Horizons should go next. How cool is that? It, it's it's really, cool. really cool. In fact, it's full of ice. It's full of ice. Oh, oh, oh! Who's the punter now? Okay. Well, let's yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's go back then. So, so how much of the solar system is ice? Well, not a lot by mass. In in fact, if if you pull together all the mass in the Kuiper Belt, it it's kind of a large rocky planet's worth of materials. 
Not a lot. And it's also scattered into what's called the scattered disk and beyond the Kuiper belt, beyond the scattered disk, the Oort cloud. Not really sure how much mass is tied up out there. Haven't really observed it yet. It's a lot of stuff, though. It, mm-hmm. It's sort of like when you're cleaning your house, you don't realize how many forks you own until you realize that you have forks in every room of your house from those random snacks that have been gathered. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, we get out past what the asteroid belt, right? And the ice starts. And yeah. then we've got moons that are made of ice. We've got the rings of Saturn and the rings of the of the other planets are made of ice. We've got the the dwarf planets, the Kuiper belt objects, the scattered disk, the Oort cloud. We've got comets, short and long period comets. The and centaurs in inside of Jupiter's orbit. So why do we have this dividing line of ice? I said, you know, where does that start? Well, the the water line is midway through the asteroid belt. And then the freeze line is out there pretty much between Jupiter and Saturn. And these are basically the places where you go from completely blasted dry potato-shaped asteroids to potatoes with water to things of varying mixtures of rock and ice and then the, in general, pure ice stuff in the outer solar system. And, and what you're seeing is essentially the thermal gradient of when our solar system formed. So when it formed and not the way it is today. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And where things are located isn't purely because of where they formed. The scattered disk of objects, these are things that Neptune's gravity periodically flings around. The Kuiper belt, these are objects that probably formed where they're located. The Oort cloud is a mixture. Well, we think a lot of the Oort cloud is stuff that got flung out there, actually. The centaurs, these are things that got pulled in and trapped in in stable orbits. But for the most part, asteroid belt formed mostly in place. Kuiper belt formed as much in place as anything in the outer solar system formed in place. And these dividing lines reflect the situation in the early solar system when things were settling in to their lasting positions. But where did all this water come from then? I mean, I mean, all this ice is just water. And so where did it all come from and how did it just sort of distribute around throughout the entire solar system? Well, it, it's more than just water. Well, water is a complicated thing. It, it's more than just liquid. It's ammonia. It's methane. It's anything that we'd call volatiles. These, these are things that, when exposed to enough heat, become gaseous form. Right. We're not right. We're not just talking about water for ice. It's everything. Okay. Yeah, I got that. And and it came from the stuff our solar system formed out of. The early solar system was this mix of molecules and atoms. You you had all the iron, all of the silica, all of the stuff that we think of as heavy metals. Um, we had all of the carbon molecules. And mixed in all of this was O2, oxygen. Mixed into all of this was all sorts of different carbon gases mixed into this was the ammonia and the methane and part of this mixing process um, you had different things segregated out into different places due to gravitational attraction pulling things into the center of the solar system versus the light pressure 
forcing things back out. In the inner solar system, all of that light pressure from the sun basically said, okay, volatiles, bye-bye, we're sending you far, far away now. And so the Earth initially was this molten dry thing. And we had to wait for the comets to come flying in and rewater us, I guess. Right. Okay. So so it's in that early solar system with the light pressure and the radiation coming off of the coming off of the sun, anything that wasn't like made of metal and rock just couldn't couldn't sort of fight against it and was pushed out into the outer solar system and even out of the whole solar system, right? Yeah. And so but then you've got that dividing line, right? You've got that dividing line in between the, the asteroid belt. So so what was different there? Why did it stick around there? It, w- it was a combination of, well, ad- as you increase your distance from the sun, that pressure from the light, every time you double the distance, the light pressure is spread out over four times the area. So as you get further and further away, the effects get less. You also had temperature dropping. So even though the early sun was in some cases hotter, it it didn't fricassee things once you got far <laughs> enough away. And And then once you get far, far away, uh, then you reach the point where volatiles were quite happy to sit around as nice, solid ice. And that's where you see the evolution in composition as a distance from the sun. So it had nothing to do with the temperature of the sun? So it's not like the 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 stuff was melted away? It was really about the light pressure? It It's a combination of both. So while things were hot enough that you had the the asteroids quite simply sublimated away volatiles on their surface, if, if you're cold but not covered up, ice is exposed to vacuum quite happily goes straight to gas. And, and so you had a certain amount of temperatures were high enough to sublimate away things. But at the same time, this this radiation pressure is what took materials that would otherwise gravitationally get held onto and push them away. So this is where our planet Earth was really hot, but was also experiencing this pressure that took everything that could have sat around as a gravitationally held onto atmosphere and said, no, I'm, I'm just going to push you out of the way. I'm going to send you out to the outer solar system. So then is the amount of ice that's in the outer solar system, is that sort of the same amount that was probably formed in the inner solar system as well, but just got got blown out? Now you start getting into details where I have to say I'm not comfortable answering that because we're still not entirely sure how solar systems formed. And and so it's unclear how much did we lose? How much did we just rearrange? Right. How much got sucked into Jupiter and the sun along the way? How much became the Earth's oceans? And and even, I mean, we still don't even know fully where the oceans came from. I mean, the comets is the is one of the theories, but there's other ones as well. So it's, you know, more research is necessary. Yeah, there's diverse models on how our solar system formed. There's this one fabulous model that has Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune starting closer in, basically is this tumbling swarm of planets that gravitationally eventually flung each other out, where you had Saturn and Jupiter in resonance for a while, just radically 
flinging small bodies all over the solar system. But these are models. We don't know what's right yet. Now, you mentioned there's different kinds of ice. I mean, it's not just water ice. There's ammonia, methane, things like that. Do those have different lines as well? Or do they all sort of, you know, was it all about how volatile it was? I mean, they're all collected together or do you not see the ammonia until you're further out? For the most part, the nice, happy, solid, icy bodies we see, these are the centaurs, the Kuiper Belt objects, the scattered disk objects. While they have variation in composition, we think we're still figuring this out. The suckers are far away and they're faint. While they may have differences in composition, and we guess at that based on differences in albedo, they they all formed in basically the same area and then got scattered around by gravitational interactions. So it's more like you take the snowbank on the side of the road that has some of it has been attacked by pollution from cars. Some of it has random spilled coffee from someone falling on the ice. There's unfortunately dog pee on the snowbank. <laughs> and where you grab a... a or don't grab a handful of snow from that snowbank, there's going to be variations in composition. But in general, it's all one snowbank. And right. in this case, it's all one family of icy objects. Hmm. And is it, is it more than about their position than their composition? Yeah, that's exactly how we segregate these things into different bins. It's where they're located in the solar system, not what are they made of like we do with other objects. So let's take an object that, you know, people might be familiar with that, that is largely comprised of ice and take a kind of a better look at what we might find inside of it. Now, you mentioned, you know, gravel and dog pee on the snowbank, but what would it, you know, <laughs> you know, Enceladus or, you know, a comet like Halley's Comet or something like that. I mean, it's not just a pure block of ice, right? Right. So the, the, the way we typically model comets is you take a couple handfuls of, of gravel, uh, silica, some metals, mix it all together, add in dry ice, add in ammonia, add in oxygen, add in a little bit of nitrogen, add in pretty much anything you can think of that can become a frozen gas. Mix it all together in, in a variety of slightly different ways. And that's what you get when you look at a comet and you start taking it apart. Mostly it's ice, but there are bits of rock and gravel mixed in there. Are things layered like like the, the way the Earth has the different layers? I mean, you can, if you cracked it up, would you find layers or would you find it all just jumbled up? It's hard to know. We haven't had the chance to grab one of these things and take it apart. With the small objects like comets, it's, it's generally thought that they're pretty much compositionally, when you, you look at non-weathering effects, the surface is going to have it, its own sun-affected materials. But once you get in from the stuff that's been degraded through interactions with solar weather, it's probably a fairly consistent composition. That's also what we think of asteroids, which are mostly rocky bodies. But as things become bigger, as you go from looking at the small potatoes to looking at things like Sirius, and once you go from looking at the smaller comets to looking at the bigger Kuiper Belt objects, things like Pluto, then you start to expect that stratification of some sort has happened. But 
We're still learning. We're still not entirely sure. Right. I guess the question is if they're, you know, depends on like if they're orbiting a planet like... Like Triton orbiting Neptune. Right. That there might be a certain amount of tidal flexing going on. And so it's going to have heating up the core a bit. And maybe that allows things to differentiate a bit. And and more than that, you also have while it formed, it had a chance to start grabbing onto things in slightly different ways and segregating materials out as things got bigger and bigger. You you end up planet formation is one of those things that I'm still trying to get my head around. But one of the neat facets of of forming any large object that becomes round due to having sufficient gravity is the materials inside move around of their own accord. This is where you end up on the earth with bands of metals that are easier to mine than if the entire composition was like a well-mixed cake batter. So through all of these complicated processes, you do end up inside of these bodies with materials moving around. And so what impact then, as I joked in the beginning, <laughs> what impact has this has has this ice had on on the you know geologic development of the earth and 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 life especially? Well, I I think the most interesting one in modern history is the object that flew over the the Soviet Union in the early 1900s, the Tunguska event, is thought to have perhaps been a comet that chose to evaporate right prior to hitting the planet Earth. And that's kind of cool to think about. I heard it was UFOs or a black hole. Yeah, no. No, no. okay. All right. It was it was probably a little comet. Right. And it, it's thought that the comet Enki, and this isn't, this is a much argued over thing, but it's thought that the comet Enki used to be much, much larger in the past. And various chunks of it have probably hit the planet Earth at various times in our past. In one particular theory, not widely accepted, but still kind of neat to think about. You're allowed to think about the not widely accepted, but not yet disproven theories. It's thought that one particular chunk might have hit the Middle East and been part of the collapse of the Copper Age. Hmm. Then, just in general, we have water on our planet. Pretty much all of the planetary formation models we have say that in the early parts of the solar system, our planet should have gotten baked dry. So the water had to come from somewhere. And comets are thought to be maybe that source of water. And the same is true of the planet Mars. When we look at Mars and we see what look like riverbeds. Again, Mars is, was inside the frost line, should have had all its water blasted out, all of its ice, you know, pushed away, and yet it clearly had evidence of past water. And, and now as we start to explore the moon and Mercury with the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and the Messenger mission, we're even finding ice on the polar regions of Mercury, this little <laughs> baked rock next to the sun. And the only reason that we can even start to think about explaining that is the idea that, well, we see comets plunge into the sun all the time using the, the SOHO and other sun-staring satellites. Well, what if instead of plunging into the sun, you had comets plunging into craters in the polar regions on Mercury, these places that are in constant shadow and cold enough to keep that ice? So it looks like comets may have even brought water to mercury 
one thing that's, that I find is quite interesting is is what the future holds for the solar system. You know, we've talked about how the amount of energy coming out of the sun is heating up, that, you know, as the sun continues to to heat up, it's going to cause some trouble for here life on Earth, mm-hmm. but it's going to actually sort of push out the habitability zone of the whole of the whole solar system. Yeah, it, it's an interesting future because our sun is going to get larger in surface area, colder in temperature, and the combination is a whole lot more light, a whole much, th- a whole bunch more thermal energy, and um, a, a surface that is much closer to the surface of the planet, and in fact probably uncomfortably close and killing us in the future. And as we move outwards. If humanity is capable of moving outwards, we can start thinking about the necessity of finding water and finding other things that we need for life and grabbing a hold of an asteroid and turning it into a spacecraft and going out and grabbing water from a comet. It's it's the stuff of science fiction, but also perhaps the stuff of a scientific future. And you could imagine way down the road, billions and billions of years down the road, it could very well be that the it's that the outer solar system actually has the liquid. We could be hanging out on the beaches of Enceladus, <laughs> right? You know, our summer home on Pluto. Um, I, I'd much rather have rock beneath my feet, but uh, yeah. th- those are futures that we can think about. Now, I think one of the really interesting, I mean, a lot of this research is being done right now because it has a very practical purpose, which is, as we want to further explore the solar system, we need this water. We need this ice. You know what? You know a lot of the research that's being done, especially searching for it on the moon, has a very practical purpose. Right. And and on the moon, unfortunately, we're finding that yeah, there's volatiles. Yeah, there's H two O water, but a lot of it seems to be mixed into the soils, which makes it very energy intensive to pull it out but if we can grab one of these comets that wanders into the inner solar system one of these pieces of either the Kuiper belt or the scatter disk or the Oort cloud all depending on what its early orbital parameters were before we captured it if we can capture it and gently crash land it on the moon that's resources as as we start to think about how much harder it is to mine metals as we start to use up all of our easily accessible resources and as we start to think about the gravitational requirements of building colonies on the moon and mars suddenly it starts to make sense to just go grab an asteroid instead of mining things here on the planet earth so we now see comets we now see asteroids as future resources Mm-hmm. Now, you know, in the past, we only had our own solar system to look at. But now we have hundreds of other solar systems out there to see with the, you know, with all of the extrasolar planets that scientists are, are turning up. Is this water or is this ice, you know, part of the puzzle? Were we able to see it very well? We're able to see, and you can't get compositions from this distance, but you can speculate, we're able to see disks of material, asteroid-like belts, Kuiper belt-like things around other stars. 
in some of the more interesting cases in young, young solar systems, we can see the empty gaps of still forming planets and in other systems, the much larger gaps of a mature gravitationally swept out region. It seems to be that there's always stuff left over. And how much stuff gets left over varies from system to system. Vega has its own set of belts around it and appears to have no planets. Different solar systems are built in different ways. But one of the not unusual features is a belt in a position that would make sense for it to be frozen objects just like our Kuiper belt. Hmm. And it's, and sometimes we can see it when things are colliding. It's almost like when the, you know, the activity is happening. It it's neat to be able to look around the solar system and basically catch snapshots of solar systems in the process of growing up. Well, thanks, Pamela. Oh, and so one last reminder for people: if they want to participate and help figure out where New Horizons is going to go next, what should they do? They should go to www.icehunters.org. And uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter, and I'll be keeping people up to date. Well, it's not me. It's the servers will be keeping people up to date on all the things that are going on and being discovered. Cool. And if if you're lucky, you will be the person that picks or contributes to choosing the next target for New Horizons after Pluto, which would be pretty cool. So hope to see you online. All right. All right. Well, thanks again, Pamela. My pleasure. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with generous support from Universe Today.